I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Storytimes. I'm Michelle. I'm Kirsten. And it's my true crime episode. <laughs> I'm gonna do that every time until we get a soundboard. That's funny. <laughs> so today I'm covering the Tylenol murders. Tylenol like the medicine? Yes. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. Well, that's what Not I'm covering today. Might be a two-parter, not really sure. Hoping it's just going to be a one-parter. But if this episode starts to get too long, I might just stop somewhere in the middle. We'll see. Okay. So, Sounds good. Um, follow our podcast if you want to continue to listen to us. Yeah. Make sure you download our episodes. We've got a whole bunch of episodes that you can listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, go subscribe to our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Leave us a review. Or a rating mm-hmm. anywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Everything you can find in the show notes. Yeah. So all of the links to pretty much wherever you can find our podcast is in the link tree in the show notes. So you can go on there and, well, I mean, if you're listening to our podcast, you're already on some kind of listening device. So yep. just leave us a review. Please. But if you want to follow us on anywhere else, it is all in the link tree. Yep. And the show notes as well as the patreon yep all right so we're just gonna jump right into this sounds good um on september 29th of 1982 mary kellerman 12 years old of elk grove village illinois died yikes adam janice 27 of arlington heights illinois died in the hospital later that same day okay Adam's brother Stanley, who was 25, and sister-in-law Teresa, who was 19, of Lyell, Illinois, also later died. What the heck? Within the next few days, Mary McFarland, 31, of Elmhurst, Illinois, Paula Prince, 35, of Chicago, and Mary Reiner, 27, of Winfield, Illinois, all died in similar incidents. Okay. What did they all have in common? Tell me. They all took Tylenol. I'm never taking Tylenol again. So, the testing came back of the Tylenol. They Mm -hmm. took all the bottles, confiscated them, however you want to say it. And there was cyanide present in the Tylenol capsules. I didn't know cyanide was lethal. It's toxic. Cyanide? Cyanide? It can kill you. What am I thinking of? I don't know. But it can kill you. And I'm thinking of chloroform. Yeah. Well, I think that can also kill you, but... And it also leaves a chemical burn. But anyways. Well, yeah. But that's what I was thinking of when it crossed my mind. Um, I will say the definition here in a minute. Okay. So. So, issue- warnings were issued by the media. Um, and they also issued warnings using those big megaphone things. What? So, they were just going around town. Oh. Know. Like, don't you. Hear don't ye, hear ye. Tylenol. The British are coming. The British are coming. Yeah. That's how they, um. 
came through work the other day telling us that they were having it. Well, they didn't tell us it was a drill. Mm-hmm. They had the little microphone things with an alarm going off, and they yeah. were like, take cover, take cover. Oh, I that's was freaky. Like, oh, heck no. That just seems so foreign to me, though, going around yeah. town with a megaphone. Yeah. But hey. And they also do that in one of my favorite movies, Nightmare Before Christmas. It was also um, 1982. So. Yeah. So they were warning the citizens of Chicago to not take Tylenol. Okay, until they figured out yes, where what it was, was going from. on. So the cyanide capsules had been manufactured at two different locations, Pennsylvania and Texas. Okay. There were distributing places there where okay. they made it and everything. So the investigators suggested that the Tylenol had been tampered with after it already hit the shelves in Chicago. Okay. So somebody... They like slipped like the, it into the bottle or something? No, the police thought that someone had taken the bottles off the shelves. This was before they had any precautions. You could just pop the bottle open. It was already open. Okay. There was no wrapper. There was no, mm-hmm. like, you know, like seal. seal on it, cotton, whatever. None of that. Okay. It was just open. So the police thought that they had just taken the bottles off the shelves, and then they placed the potassium cyanide in some of the capsules. So they opened the capsules and put the cyanide in, closed them back up, put them back in the bottle. Okay. So um, to go into further of a definition of potassium cyanide, it's a compound with the formula KCN, which is a chemical formula. Um, it's colorless and crystalline salt. It's similar in appearance to sugar and is highly soluble in water. Which means it dissolves, right? Yes. In water. So, most KCN is used in gold mining, organic synthesis, and electroplating. So, this is not good for human bodies. Okay. So, smaller applications include jewelry for chemical gliding and buffing. So, as we know from people dying, potassium cyanide is highly toxic. Mm Mm-hmm. The moist solid emits small amounts of hydrogen cyanide due to hydrolysis, which smells like bitter almonds. Yikes. And, fun fact, not everyone can smell this. Apparently, the ability to do so is a genetic trait to, s- to be able so to weird. smell it. Yeah. That's crazy. So, the taste of potassium cyanide has been described as acrid and bitter with a burning sensation similar to lye. So it's what just like, it tastes bitter. It does not taste good. Okay. You know how when you put Tylenol in your mouth, like you can't even taste it. That's probably how it was because they just put the cyanide in the capsules. Right. So. And you don't like let Tylenol dissolve in your mouth. Like you swallow it so you don't right. taste it. So finally, after they took it off the shelves, took it home, put the cyanide in, they put the packages back on the shelf. The, um, what do you call it? Suspect? No, that's not what I want to say. The people that did it. Yeah, but it, there's a word for it. The perpetrator. Perps. That's what I wanted to say. The perps. The perp. Okay, so in addition to the five bottles that led to the victim's deaths that we talked about earlier, a few other contaminated bottles were also discovered in the Chicago area. <laughs> so in an effort to reassure the public, Johnson & Johnson, which if you didn't know, is the manufacturer of Tylenol, okay. distributed warnings to hospitals and distributors. And they also halted Tylenol production and advertising, which is so weird that um, medicine can be advertised. And it's like the U.S. is the only place that advertises medication. Really? Like in commercials and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's banned in other countries. Hmm. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So after other 
incidents like strychnine added to Tylenol bottles in California, a nationwide recall of Tylenol products was issued on October 5th of 1982. So strychnine is a highly toxic, colorless, bitter, crystalline alkaloid, which is a naturally occurring organic compound used as a pesticide. And we know that pesticides are not good for you. Yeah. So it is particularly used for killing small vertebrates, such as birds and rodents. Okay. Strychnine, when inhaled, swallowed, or absorbed through the eyes or mouth, causes poisoning, which results in muscular convulsions and eventually death through asphyxia. And if you don't know what that is, that's basically suffocation due the, to the depletion of oxygen to your brain. So strychnine was used medicinally at one point. Um, it was used historically in small doses to strengthen muscle contractions, such as a heart and bowel stimulant and performance-enhancing drug. Weird, like right? Like a steroid? Yeah. Oh. So the most common source is from the seeds of the Strychnos nux vomica tree. So this comes from a tree. That's why it's an organic oh, Okay. If that makes more sense. So yeah. That's basically an explanation on that. I think that explained it pretty good. Mm-hmm. So when Johnson & Johnson did this recall, it was estimated that 31 million bottles were in circulation at the time. This retail value would be over 100 million in U.S. dollars. What? But in 2021, it's equivalent to 281 million U.S. dollars. Damn. Yeah. So if that puts it into perspective yeah well you think everybody buys Tylenol mm-hmm. most everybody very true so the company also advertised in the national media for individuals not to consume any of its products that contained acetaminophen okay because strictly strictly because it had been determined that only those capsules had been tampered with nothing else so, Johnson & Johnson also offered to exchange all Tylenol capsules already purchased by the public for solid tablets. So, you could go and exchange them mm-hmm. with them. So, I thought that was pretty nice of them. Yeah. So, in early 1983, at the FBI's request, Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green published the address and grave location of the first and youngest victim, Mary Kellerman. The story was written with the Kellerman family's consent by the way. Good. So they were in on this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was proposed by FBI criminal analyst John Douglas on this, the theory that the perpetrator might visit the house or gravesite if he were made aware of their locations. So they were trying to, like, get them out. I've seen where, like, um, investigators would do that. Yeah. When there's been a murder and they, like, publicly um, talk about where the funeral will be or things like that thinking that the murderer will show up at the funeral yeah because they want to be close to the investigation right. and all that so both sites were kept under 24-hour video surveillance for several months but the killer did not surface so they never came there was also a surveillance photo of paula prince purchasing cyanide tampered tylenol at a walgreens at 1601 north wells street and it was released by the Chicago Police Department. Okay. Um, police believe that a bearded man seen just feet behind Prince may have been the killer. Really? Mm-hmm. So Paula Prince is another victim that we had talked about in the mm-hmm. beginning. So during the initial investigations, a man named James William Lewis 
was accused of sending a letter to Johnson & Johnson demanding one million U.S. dollars to stop the cyanide-induced murders. He was saying, you give me one million and I'll stop the murders. So he was trying to take, oh. like, a ransom note. Okay, I see. Yeah. He was arrested, tried, and convicted of extortion and sentenced to 10 years in prison. So did he do it or was he just saying he did it to try and get the money? We'll find out. Okay. So WCVB Channel 5 of Boston, Massachusetts reported that court documents released in early 2009 show Department of Justice investigators concluded James was responsible for the poisonings despite the fact that they did not have enough evidence to charge him. Now we're going to go to a second person. Okay. A second man, Roger Arnold, was identified, investigated, and cleared of the killings. Okay. He actually had a nervous breakdown because of the media attention, which he blamed on Marty Sinclair, a bar owner. Because in the summer of 1983, Roger shot and killed John Stanisha. That's hard to say. For Stanisha. Stanisha a computer consultant and father of three who was leaving a bar with multiple friends. Roger actually thought it was Marty Sinclair. What? Yeah, that I know. A whole Little side story. Things. And I said, what is the beef, though? Yeah, why was he trying to kill him? Never kill was somebody said. else. Yeah. That's Roger crazy. was convicted of the killing in January of 1984 and served 15 years of his 30-year sentence for, for second-degree murder saying in 1996 from prison, I killed a man, a perfectly innocent person. I had choices. I could have walked away. Roger died in June 2008. Did you know? So it says he served 15 years of a 30-year sentence. Mm -hmm. Did you know that two days in prison is, er. One day in prison is two days. One day in prison is two days to your sentence. Yes, I do. So 15 and 30, that is accurate. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah. So his, his sentence was 30 years, but really you only served 15. If you're good. Right. You good only behavior. get two days for one day if you're good. On if good you're on good behavior. behavior. So that's like You can also do, do classes and all kinds of stuff to get out of prison early. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that. I if you knew that or not. Yep. Maybe you're the one who told me. I'm pretty sure I did. Okay. <laughs> well, it said that. I was like, oh, 15 is half a 30. Oh, yeah. Duh. Because mm -hmm. maybe he got out on good behavior. And yep. that's. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know that, now you know. There you go. Now you know. <laughs> But yeah, I did know that okay. um, from past experiences. Not that I was in prison, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so Lori Dan, who poisoned and shot a number of people in May 1988 in a rampage in and around Winnetka, Illinois, was, okay. pre was briefly considered as a suspect, but no direct connection was ever found. I mean, probably just because he poisoned poison. people. Oh, it was a he... Lori. I I don't know. I think there's they. there are we'll some men they. out there named Lori. We'll just say they. But yeah. They so poisoned they people. Were yes. poisoning people. I can't talk today. It's okay. Neither can I. So in early January 2009, Illinois authorities renewed the investigation because it had been like 30 they years since opened this point. it up again. Yep. So federal agents searched the home of James again in Cambridge, Massachusetts because that's where he was at the time. Okay. And seized a number of items. In Chicago, an FBI spokesman declined to comment but said, we'll have something to release later, possibly. Possibly. 
So law enforcement officials have received a number of tips related to the case coinciding with its anniversary. In a written statement, the FBI explained, This review was prompted in part by the recent 25th anniversary of this crime and the resulting publicity. Further, given the many recent advances in forensic technology, it was only natural that a second look be taken at the case and recovered evidence. So they're like, we're going to get this back out. Yeah, they're like, we're going to figure out what happened. So in January 2010, both James and his wife submitted DNA samples and fingerprints to authorities. Okay. James said, quote, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about, end quote. Plays it fair? Yep. I don't know. That's Saying that he's innocent. Oh. James continues to deny all responsibility for the poisonings. I mean, if he willingly gave DNA samples and fingerprints. Yeah. Most of the time, if you willingly give something, Mm -hmm. they're going to not think you did it anymore. Yeah. They're going to be like... But if you deny, that's what I don't get. Like, even if you are innocent, mm-hmm. why are you going to deny giving your DNA to help a case? Because that just some makes people you look are more guilty. Yeah, guilty. But I think some people just want privacy. They don't want to have to give their DNA right. if they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that side of it. But it's if just... a police officer came up to my door and was like, "I need your DNA for this," I'd be like, "Okay." Cause I didn't yeah, do if they're like, where were you on this day and this time we think you committed this murder and I know I didn't do it. I'd be fighting. I'm going to be like, okay, take my DNA. Yeah. Take my fingerprint. Take take a hair. Yeah. Take my fingernail clippings. I don't, whatever. Yeah, Whatever seriously. you need. You need me to pee in a cup? Right. I'll do that too. Because <laughs> I, I do, do not want to go to jail <laughs> or prison. I don't want to go to jail for something that I did not do. <laughs> right. So, on May 19th, 2011, the FBI requested DNA samples from Unabomber Ted Kaczynski, in connection to the Tylenol murders. On May 19, 2011, the FBI requested DNA samples from Unabomber Ted Kaczynski in connection to the Tylenol murders. Kaczynski denied even having potassium cyanide at all. Okay. The I first... don't think that potassium cyanide would be very easy to get hold of. I don't either. <laughs> so not everybody's just going to have it laying around. Right. But 1982 I mean, might have been easier to yeah. get. So, the first four Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago and its suburbs from 1978 to 1980, and Kaczynski's parents had a suburban Chicago home in Lombard, Illinois, in 1982, where he had stayed occasionally. Okay. So, that's kind of a little brief explanation. I didn't want to go into it too much Mm -hmm. in case one of us decided to cover it. So, now we're going to go into some copycats, some people that wanted to copy this this murder, these murders. I don't understand copycats. I don't either. I don't understand it. But they can't think of their own murder to commit, so they do something else. But why are you going to be like, oh, let me copy this person who murdered some people. Let me murder my own people. And then what if you get caught because you're sloppy and then you also get charged with some of these other murders that you didn't do? Also, why murder people in the first place, you know? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Obviously, we think like that. Yeah. They don't, obviously. There were hundreds of copycat attacks involving Tylenol and even other, like, over-the-counter medications. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to be afraid to take any kind of medicine. (laughs) They also took place around the United States immediately following the Chicago deaths. Three more deaths occurred in 1986 from tampered gelatin capsules. A woman died in Yonkers, New York, after ingesting extra-strength Tylenol capsules, also laced with cyanide. 
Excedrin capsules in Washington State were tampered with, resulting in the deaths of Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel. And they also died of cyanide poisoning. Because Excedrin is like the same thing as Tylenol, kind of? Kind of, yeah. So, this eventually led to the arrest and conviction of Bruce Nichols' wife, Stella Nichol, for intentional actions in the crimes connected with two both murders. What? We're about to go into that right now. Okay. Little brief, little brief side story. It's not really brief. It's kind of long, but okay. we're going to go through it real quick. Okay. So, I'm not really going to go, like, into her childhood or anything. I'm going to just start right off at the murders and everything. Murder. Yep, and the trial because I didn't want to give her more spotlight than she already needed because she don't deserve it. None of these murderers do. We just like to cover them because we like true crime, you know? So, true crime. But, like, story I'm not time. trying to give her, like, a whole, you know. A whole shebang. A yeah. whole episode. Right. So, Stella had various legal troubles before even meeting Bruce, including a conviction for fraud in 1968, a charge for the following year of beating Hamilton, which was her daughter, with a curtain rod and a conviction for forgery in 1971. I'm sorry. Back up. She beat her daughter with a curtain rod? Yep. What yep. the actual fuck? Right. Disgusting. So, uh, Stella served six months in jail for the fraud charge and was ordered into counseling after the abuse charge. Oh no. my goodness, No. So she just got away with beating her daughter with a curtain round, but hey. this is why this is what's wrong. Yep. With our justice system. Yeah. People don't get charged for child abuse and they don't get charged for animal abuse or elderly abuse, like But the then hell? they wanna be like, Oh, you have got a little bit of weed in your pocket? Life in prison. Right. <laughs> what the dumbest shit ever. I you swear to God. You ran a stop sign? Life in prison. Right. But then you want to be like, oh, you you beat your daughter? You know what? You probably just need some counseling. Yeah, you probably just need some time of your own. Yeah, you can do counseling, and you can have time of your own in prison. Right. <laughs> you can do both of those things in prison. That's what I'm saying. You can go to prison, and you can do counseling at the, in the prison. Right. And you can have time to yourself in prison. Right. You but definitely then, don't need to I be with your I think another thing is, like, they give these parents multiple chances because they don't want these kids to go into the foster system. But it's like not everyone in the foster system is bad. They don't. But some people do have terrible experiences in the foster system. But it's like. They don't need multiple chances. No. You fuck up. You're done, bro. You're like, especially something like that. You beat your kid with a curtain rod. I think that's a big fuck up and you're done. There's. You know what I mean? There's some things in parenting. I don't have kids, but I've watched people parent their kids. I helped raise my little brothers, you know. You can make mistakes as parents. Everybody does. I truly believe you can make mistakes and grow yes. from them. Yes. But you cannot beat your child with a curtain rod and grow from that. No, Sorry. you can't. That's not a mistake. <laughs> no. A mistakes are like, like I, I make mistakes as a parent. Right. I'm a parent. I'll yell at my kid and then I'm like, I shouldn't have yelled. Right. And then I tell him I'm sorry. Right. I shouldn't have yelled. Because you're just overwhelmed because that this is, is why a normal right. emotion. I don't be like... Let me beat you with a curtain rod and then be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Yeah. That's not because chances are if you're beating your kid with a curtain rod, that is not a one-time occurrence. Right. Everyone gets overwhelmed. Even kids. That's why they throw fits. Not to the point of beating them with a, with a curtain rod. Right. I mean, kids might slap you across the face, but I'm not gonna they don't understand. Yeah. Fuck. No, that's what I'm saying. <sighs> so, 
Moving on. Uh, Stella met Bruce Nichol in 1974. Okay. Bruce was a heavy equipment operator with a drinking habit, which suited Stella's lifestyle. Yeah, seems like it. The two married in 1976. Okay. In the course of their 10-year marriage, he entered a rehab and gave up drinking, which Stella reportedly resented. Yeah. Imagine, imagine resenting somebody for getting for them getting better. Right. I hate good job. You. I hate you because you are sobering up and doing good with your life. Yeah. Imagine so that. bad. Shame on you. <laughs> so, when Stella's bar visits were curtailed by Bruce's sobriety. Stella began requesting evening shifts at her security screener job at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport and cultivated a home aquarium as a new hobby. That's a hobby. Oh, it'll come back later. Don't forget that. A home aquarium? You mean like fish? Yep. Don't forget the aquarium. I'm not forgetting. And don't forget the bitter almond smell either. You need to remember those two things, okay? Okay. Did she poison her fish? No okay (laughs) worse actually oh gosh we already said it (laughs) oh well yeah (laughs) but i don't know what the aquarium has to do with anything you'll find out bro (laughs) okay so on june 5th of 1986 the couple was living in auburn washington when bruce came home from work with a headache imagine that what's she gonna give him according to stella bruce took four extra strength excedrin capsules from a bottle in their home for his headache and collapsed minutes later. That is a lot yeah. of medicine. He died shortly thereafter at Harborview Medical Center at the age of 52. So he still had a lot of life to live. Yeah. Unfortunately, they could not revive him. That must have been one hell of a headache. Dude, if I get some pretty four... massive migraines to where I feel like I'm going to get sick and my eyes need to be closed. Well, I think... I can't even be moving. If I move a little bit, I'm going to puke because my head hurts so bad. I think Excedrin is, like, specifically for migraines. Yeah. And considering they're extra strength... Yeah, I need to four. four of them? That's a lot. Gosh. He must have had a bad headache. I take Or maybe two. it was just his wife. I take two, like, regular Tylenol, and I'm like... That does not help with my migraines at all. Tylenol only helps with my headaches. If I have, like, body pains, Mm -hmm. it's got to be ibuprofen. Well, it's probably because ibuprofen is for inflammation more than Tylenol is. Tylenol's... It's more of a pain reliever. Ibuprofen's also a pain reliever, but it's more for inflammation in your body. So if you're having inflammation, that's probably what's causing the pain. That's probably why ibuprofen helps more. You're welcome for the lesson. Sorry. I forgot. I forgot you were an EMT. Oh my gosh. (laughs) EMT over here. I'm not even an EMT anymore, bro. I haven't been certified in, like, three years. Almost four. Yeah, but you still have the... Had the... Yeah, true. Training. Anywho. Anywho. His death initially was ruled to be by natural causes, with attending physicians citing emphysema. What's emphysema? You really gotta ask me that. Really? That's the only thing I didn't EMT, have a definition. Miss EMT over here. Bruh, I don't give diagnoses. Diagnoses? <laughs> i don't give any diagnosis bro i just what is the plural of diagnosis diagnosis <laughs> that's it <laughs> she said i don't give diagnoses <laughs> so emphysema is a condition in which the air sacs of the lungs are damaged and enlarged causing breath breathlessness that's a hard one so shortness of breath yep is emphysema pretty much so is covid emphysema 
can be, I'm sure. If you get to some point, it probably is. Like, if you're having trouble breathing. Anyways, let's not talk about that. Okay. I don't want to talk about that. Um, A second death less than a week later forced authorities to reconsider the cause of Bruce's death. I wonder why. So, on June 11th, Sue Snow, which I love the name. Sue Snow. A 40-year-old Auburn bank manager took two Excedrin tablet, tablets, tablets, capsules <laughs> for an early morning headache. Okay. Sue's husband, Paul Webb King, took two capsules from the same bottle for his arthritis and left the house for work. Okay. At 6:30 a.m., their 15-year-old daughter, Haley, found Sue collapsed on the floor of her bathroom, unresponsive and with a faint pulse. Paramedics were called and transported Sue to Harborview Medical Center, the same place that um, Bruce went. Mm -hmm. But she died later that day without regaining consciousness. R.I.P. During an autopsy on Sue, Assistant Medical Examiner Janet Miller detected the scent of bitter almonds. How, How does that work if the potassium cyanide itself smells like bitter almonds Mm -hmm. how does it go through your digestive system and whenever they're doing the autopsy they smell it how does that work you can smell that's crazy you can smell them being dead you do know that right yes i know an autopsy technician smells everything i know that but what i'm saying is if it's already passed through your digestive system and it's been in your stomach or whatever that's got to be well it releases in your stomach strong chemical mm-hmm. i'm sure to be able to withstand that and then them smell it whenever mm-hmm. they're well it's really soluble remember we read that how soluble it is mm-hmm. so when it solves in your stomach and your stomach like your stomach absorbs a lot of stuff like right. when you drink water or mm-hmm. your food it just it absorbs a lot of stuff so it literally takes it in so, so if you think about it it took it in yeah okay so, if you think about it, when they took the Excedrin, it dissolved and the stomach absorbed it. So, the stomach probably still smells like it. That's crazy. So. I was just saying that's, like, crazy how, like, they still smell it. Yeah. Even after for it's sure. been digested. It's a powerful chemical. Yeah. And in the next line, I said, if you've been paying attention, you know what that means. Tests verified that Sue had died of acute cyanide poisoning. <gasps> That was me being surprised. All right, guys. So this is where we're going to stop. And next week, I'm going to do part two. I don't want to make it too long for you guys. I think everybody kind of likes the shorter episodes, but I'm not really sure. So if you do, let us know. Review our podcast and let us know. Yeah. This is why you need to leave us a review. Because we don't know if we should continue or not. So like... You guys, or even if you, like, I know on some places you can't leave a review. Yeah. You could, like, um, send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram or something. Yeah, that too. Or comment on one of our posts and be like, You should make your like episodes the longer. Long episodes, yeah. Or we like the shorter episodes or, you right. know, whatever. And we'll just see, like, what the majority is. Or if we get any at all. Yeah. Because we haven't got any so far. No. But, but our DMs are open. For sure. We need to make sure that we have that setting on, too, though. I think it is. Okay. Well, feel free to message us wherever because we really need to know. 
If you like the short episodes or the longest episodes, let us know. That way we can accommodate to what you guys like. Yep. And so I guess that's it. Go subscribe to our Patreon and everything else. Yep. You know, the whole shebang. Oh, um, we're recording this on Sunday, so happy Father's Day to all the decent fathers out there. <laughs> yeah, when this is uploaded, happy late Father's Day. Yeah, it'll be the Friday after. But out there. Yeah, but happy Father's Day, guys. Yeah. And, um, see you later. Go listen to the bonus episode on the Patreon. Oh, okay, yeah. bye. 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 <laughs>